Good morning, everybody. It is great to be back with you this week. Um, last week, had the opportunity to preach in Wadsworth at our Wadsworth campus. And <laughs> I got to be honest with you, when I am there, I want to be here. Um, my heart is here. My desire is here uh, for God to move uh, throughout the community here in Medina. Uh, and northward so the whole time I was there enjoyed it loved seeing everybody they didn't think I existed anymore down there um, but glad to be here I want to share with you though a chance all of us will have to go to Wadsworth on October 2nd put a slide up here we're having our fall festival um, first time we've done this the way we're doing it October 2nd from noon to 3, there will be bounces and all kinds of things for kids, food trucks uh, out in the parking lot. Then at 3, 3.15, we're going to have an outdoor worship service. That will be the worship service that day on October 2nd at 3.15, where both campuses, all services Everybody comes together, much like we do on the square. You'll bring a lawn chair, if you will, please, and we will worship at 315. So if you want to show up like at 130, some of you, make sure you get something to eat from one of the food trucks, um, and then settle in for worship. It'll be a great, great day. One other, and I'll have some invite cards for you next week uh, to give to your friends and neighbors. Then on September 28th, we're going to begin something here on Wednesday nights. It's going to be called Medina Midweek, and it will happen every other week where I will lead us through a video kind of Bible study. Um, Francis Chan is one we'll be using this year uh, or this session for about six weeks. So you can mark your calendar uh, September 28th, and we'll begin Medina Midweek. Uh, here uh, to make that available for you. Christian author Bruce Larson tells about being on, vaca on vacation with his family, with his wife and young kids. We're going to visit a national park, and just outside the national park as they were driving, they saw a sign that said, Naturist Camp, Three Miles. He said to his wife, well, beautiful day. We've been in a car for a while. The kids need a break. Why don't we go and see if they have a few trails we can hike on at this naturist camp. Wife thought it was a great idea. They turned off the road, headed towards the naturist camp, and on their way there, they saw some people coming towards them, about four or five people riding bikes. And the closer they got to them, they realized that they were not wearing a stitch of clothing, not a one of them. Suddenly, the dad understood naturist and nature are not the same word. <laughs> they have different meanings. Little panic set in. They wondered how the kids were reacting in the back seat. So they, needed, they th knew they needed to turn around and go back but they didn't want to turn around too quick and come back upon the bicycle riders. 
And so they got past him and they started riding for a little while and the little boy from the back seat said, Dad, Dad, did you see that? Dad said, yes, son, I saw it. He said, Dad, none of them were wearing helmets. Uh They must have been seated low enough in the back seat that from their perspective, they couldn't see what the parents saw. Sometimes that can be a good thing on occasion. But most of the time, we want to have a good perspective of what's going on around us. We start a series this morning called Potholes. We're talking about things that are hard to see in our lives. Things that come up quickly. Many things we realize weren't even there until they were right upon them in our lives. Anybody ever hit a pothole and mess up the front end of your car? Flat tire, all right? Right now they're not prevalent, but they're coming. (laughs) Northeast Ohio, we know they are coming. And much like in our lives, we're going to talk about emotional potholes. Emotional potholes that arise in our lives that we don't see coming, but they end up growing and getting bigger and bigger if we don't watch it. Potholes like we're going to talk about this morning being pride. Pride. We're not sure where it comes from, but it can be the largest pothole in our lives. Proverbs 6 says there are the, the list of things that God hates, and right at the top of the list are haughty eyes and a prideful spirit. You read on down, there's lying and murder, but at the top of the list, pride. God hates pride. It can be at the root of every other sin. Proverbs 16 says pride comes before destruction, and this pride destroys relationships with each other, It destroys our relationship with God if we let it. How many of you would say you have pride in your life? Yeah. Anyone who says, hey, not me. I don't have pride. C.S. Lewis explains it this way. He said, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free, a vice for which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in someone else in which there are hardly any people who ever imagine they are guilty of it themselves. That's pride. We have a hard time sometimes seeing in ourselves. So I want to look at some symptoms that can make us more aware of what's happening around us, especially in our hearts. Much like a disease, there are symptoms, and then they require us eventually to do a self-diagnosis and make some change. So let's talk about some things pride does for us. First, pride makes me stubborn and defensive. Stubborn and defensive. My wife, Brenna, might say to me, Jeff, did you take out the trash today? And I might look back and say, what do you mean? I take out the trash more than you do. I take it out every day. Stubborn and defensive. Pride's what keeps a wife from saying, yeah, let's do it your way. Pride's what keeps a teenager from saying, I'm sorry. Pride's what keeps an employee from saying, my fault, my fault. Pride's what keeps a husband from saying, you're right, we are lost. 
we are lost. Stubborn, defensive. Pride makes me critical and arrogant. I don't know how many of you watch America's Got Talent. Anybody still watch that show? All right, I haven't watched it forever. Um, but this is this thing called pride is what I like to refer to as the Simon Cow syndrome. <laughs> Everybody know Simon Cow? I hate to, one of the reasons I don't like the show is because I don't like to hear his comments, all right? But so critical, so arrogant. It comes when we express our own opinion and it comes across like we're negative and short-sighted. We're quick, quick to realize whatever, what's wrong with everybody else, but not so much what's wrong with me. So maybe you have a broken relationship as a result of that. Your spouse is exhausted being married to you because they always feel criticized and critiqued. Maybe you've alienated a daughter-in-law because you're constantly the kind of mother-in-law that tells her how to raise her kids. Pride destroys families. It hurts relationships. You know what else it hurts? Churches. Churches. I think there are some people, as in every church, there are some people who like maybe to consider themselves the Simon Cow of Northside. All right? Now, we don't pay them $250 million. They're happy to do it for free. Believe me. Come into worship and they come into a worship service and they're quick to be the critic, even though they've never led worship, taken a music class. The song selection just isn't right. The music volume just isn't right. They can also be the critic of the message. Have people say to me, oh, that message didn't do much for me, Jeff. We're really not getting fed here. Over the years, I've gotten emails where I'm thinking when I get to the end of the email, Simon Cowell's going to be on the bottom of the, of the letter. Critics. What happens is we start to think that our preferences are the most reasonable. Our preferences are what really matters what we value, and no one else's does. That's not humility. That's called pride. There are a lot of other symptoms. Pride makes me prejudiced and intolerant of other people. The way other people look, the way other people dress, we can't deal with those people. Pride also makes me overly concerned with what other people think of me. And the list goes on. So here's the question. Do some of those symptoms describe you? I know they describe me. There is not one of us that is immune to the disease and the pothole of pride. So who do we study in Scripture to look at as an example of who we should follow? Other than Jesus, we know Jesus conquered pride. It wasn't in him. He was perfection. Well, one of the examples we have is Moses. Moses, an example of 
humility. No one's perfect, but listen to the way Numbers 12.3 describes Moses. It says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Well, someone pointed out that's a great description, but Moses is the author credited for writing those words, <laughs> right? Kind of weird. Yeah, Moses, Moses, right, Moses is really humble. Not a very humble thing to say. I'm sure someone else wrote that particular section. But Moses is a great example of humility for us. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 3, or if a Bible app, go there as well. Most of the scriptures will be on the screens. Could going to spend a few moments studying this together. Most of us know about Moses. Throughout Moses' life, he was on a journey towards humility. He's a good example for us because he had so many things to be proud of. He grew up in the palace with Pharaoh. It's a pretty heady thing. We read in Acts that Moses was powerful in word and action. He is a very charismatic guy, natural leader, born leader. Not only that, but Moses is said to have been a great-looking guy. His mother says about Moses, he's a beautiful child. I don't know if that really says that much. Every mother I've been around looks at their kid and says, aren't they beautiful? Look at that beautiful child. Ugly thing, ugly, ugly. His mom said it. Josephus also said it. He said Moses was so striking in his features that oftentimes the Egyptians would try just to stop and get a glimpse of what he looked like. Acts 7.22 says Moses grew up educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. So he grew up wealthy, natural leader, great-looking guy, intelligent, so many things going for him. And you know his story, most of you do, went from a baby in a basket to an angel of the Lord appearing to him in the flames of a bush on fire that wasn't consumed. God goes on to call Moses, give an assignment to go back to Egypt, freeing the Israelites from the Egyptians. Moses had been there, saw the abuse and mistreatment 40 years earlier. And yet, I want you to hear his humble response. Verse 11, chapter 3 of Exodus, Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Seems to be a big change in his life from who he was earlier. Forty years earlier, Moses impulsively killed an Egyptian out of an attempt to avenge in an Israelite slave. Brash move. But now he's a shepherd, been a shepherd for decades. He's gone from the general of an army to shepherding sheep. Talk about humbleness. But God did that so Moses could be used in the most powerful way. Get this. Humility. Humility is the key to being used by God in a great way. Humility is the key to being used by God in a great and powerful way. More than any other characteristic, humility opens up our hearts, opens up the door to God's blessing in our lives. 
Psalms 18, 27 says, God, you save the humble, but you bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Proverbs 3, 34 says, God mocks the proud, mockers, but gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 66, 2, God says, this is the one I esteem. He who was what? Humble and contrite in spirit. In God's economy, a humble spirit is of greater worth and value than talent and ability. A humble spirit. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He's chosen the things that are not to nullify the things that are. That way no one can boast before him. Yet God chooses the humble. So what's the remedy? Moses is now a shepherd of sheep. The result, he has a little bit more accurate view of himself. He's got a taste of reality. And I think that's the first part of conquering pride in our lives, to have an accurate view of yourself, of who you really are. Romans 12.3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, Paul says, have an accurate view of yourself. See yourself for who you are. Now, that's tough. That's tough. We don't like to be honest about who we really are. We don't like to face many times our limitations and our weaknesses. We'd rather kind of look past those. Anybody have one of these <clears throat> at, your, at your house? Anybody have one of these? All right. I don't know why anybody would buy one of these, especially this kind of mirror. This side, it's okay. I, I don't look too bad. Sweating a little bit. This side? Wow. It magnifies. You got one of these? It magnifies. This says 10 times. It's like a best way to describe it is a mirror on steroids. All right? And I, I looked, I was going through my message this morning back here in the room, and I put it real close. I'm looking. Uh, oh, wow. I got like a forest in my ear. Huh? I got to take care of those ears. <laughs> you know, what's going on? Because when you get it there and you start looking at that mirror on steroids, it reveals every pimple, every mark, every dot. Like, uh-uh, I'll go back here. I'll go back here. Every once in a while, it would do us good. It would humble us to look in the mirror and say like Moses, who am I? Who am I? Who am I becoming? And when you have an accurate view of yourself, it can lead to humility. However, as we read on in the story of Moses, it seems he's taken a little far because he goes from humbleness to almost insecurity. 
Moses goes on to tell God, God, I remember, God, I'm not a communicator. I'm not a good leader. Pharaoh's not going to take me seriously. And finally, in chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 14, after Moses is given all those reasons of why he can't do it, it says God's anger burned against him. Moses learned an important lesson about avoiding the pothole of pride. It's not about beating yourself up. It's not about walking around with a lowly view of who you are. It's not about walking around defeated with your head down. So to miss the pothole of pride, how can we do it with an accurate view of ourselves and still be confident and still have security? Well, I want to go on with what happens with Moses. Moses says to God, to God who am I? And then God looks at Moses in verse 12, and he says, Moses, I'll be with you. Moses, I will be with you. Later, we know Moses says, God, but I'm not a good speaker. God looks at Moses and says, but I made your tongue. But I made your tongue. And here's what God does. He takes the focus off of Moses and he puts it on himself. What Moses needed was not self-confidence, but God-confidence. Say it with me, God-confidence. God-confidence. A humble awareness that it's not about me. It's about God being at work in my life. You want to avoid the pothole of pride? Have an accurate view of yourself but also make sure you have an accurate view of your God. Make sure you have an accurate view of your God. Don't put your confidence in your appearance. Don't put your confidence in your achievements. Don't put your confidence in your success. You put all of your confidence in God. Numbers chapter 20, if we flip over a while, the final story I want us to reflect on is Moses when he's in the desert leading the people into the promised land. The people are complaining. The people are high maintenance. They want something to drink, remember? So God says to Moses, speak to the rock and the water will miraculously come from the rock. But that's not exactly what Moses does, right? Numbers chapter 20, beginning with verse 10. Moses says to the people, Listen, you rebels, and he's pretty tick, he's had enough of them. Listen, you rebels, must we bring water, bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm, struck the rock twice with his staff, water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. God says, sorry, Moses, <laughs> you're not going into the promised land. Some would look at Moses and say, well, you had a problem with disobedience. No, I'd look at Moses and say he had a problem with pride. Notice the word Moses uses here. He says, must we bring forth water from this rock? Not just God, but God and me together. Must we 
do this. And he goes on to do it the way he wants to do it and strikes the rock twice. And God says, you didn't honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. And Moses, let's be clear here. Let's be really clear. There is no we. There is no we. Any success, any blessing, any goodness in your life, God says is because of my mercy and my grace. There's no we. You can't bring water out of the rock, Moses, no matter how hard you hit it. Only I can, God says. It's only by my grace. So Moses learned probably the most important lesson of pride, and that is you don't take credit for what God does. You give all glory and all honor to him. So he gathers all the Israelites around him. He wants to give them some final words. And in Deuteronomy 8, we read about this speech that he gives to the people. Essentially what he says to them is you are going to be blessed in the promised land beyond your wildest dreams. You're going to have bigger houses. Your herds will increase. You have more silver. You're going to, your silver and gold will multiply. Life's going to be really, really good for you. And here's what he says, Deuteronomy 8, beginning with verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods, and worship and bow down to them. I testify to you today that you will surely be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Moses shared what he had learned with all the people. And that is everything that is good in your life, everything in your life, it's from the hand of God, and you give God credit. Don't you dare think that it is by my hand that I've gained this wealth. It's by my hand, by my will, that I've achieved this status in life. It's by my giftedness that I've been successful. No, you and I really didn't have anything to do with it. It's all by God's hand, by God's design, and by God's desire. Think about it. Did you decide what personality you would have when you were born? Did you decide the gifts that God would give you? Did you even decide what family you would be born into? Did you even decide what country you would be a part of? No, it's all from God. And so everything that is a part of us, everything is around us. It's not about us. It's all about him and his glory. I got to thinking about why God hates pride the most. 
You want know to think the number one reason God hates pride? It's because pride keeps us from him. Pride puts a wall between us and God. It's really saying, God, I don't need your help. I can do this on my own. And most of all, pride says, I don't need Jesus. I don't need a savior. I can do this on my own. But the Bible says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it also says, if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. If you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. So that's what I want us to take a moment this morning as we kind of wrap this up and head towards communion. It's just to spend a few moments in silence with our heads bowed and just humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves before the Lord our God. Let's bow our heads. Spend some time doing that right now.